We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, we are... Living in the twilight zone. Uh, alternatively, I thought of maybe like a Matrix intro because we we may be in the Matrix, just like the weirdest simulation. Uh, it is safe to say that 2020 has been a strange year, but at the point that you are winning at Old Trafford thanks to penalties awarded by Mike Dean, well, I think you have to say that it is end times, my friends, but I am happy to share them with you. So, so happy to share them with you. Uh, for those of you just watching on Patreon, seeing our faces, uh, I am sorry for that part, but hopefully you will like the audio part. Uh, so let me introduce Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woo-hoo. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. 
Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Indeed, we did an instant reaction pod. I want to thank Andrew, or uh, you may know him as Arse Blog. Uh, it's a blog about arses. Anyway, yeah, you can uh, you can listen to that instant reaction over on Patreon if you want. And Clive and I will be rewatching the first half of Arsenal 1, Manchester United nil. I, I dare say maybe the better half, so probably the right one to choose. But it's all good. When you win at Old Trafford, all the halves, the first half, the second half, third half, fourth half, any of the halves you want to watch are all good. And of course, uh, if you stick around, you will hear about the proper way, the best way, the only way, quite frankly, to shave your privates. Um, those of you watching will know that uh, not particularly clean, shorn above the neck, but below the waist. Let me tell you, it is a, it is a sight to behold, gleaming, gleaming and beautiful. So uh, enough of that. Let's get into yeah, resplendent. That's right. Let's get into what was uh, a resplendent day, a day of celebration, a day long in the making, a day that connects us to history because it was 14 years ago that Arsenal won at Old Trafford. A shameful record, I guess you'd say, but without a shameful record, how can you have a celebration and a release like what we had yesterday? So uh, all good things. And Tim, I will start with you. Um, you don't get to be at Old Trafford for it. And in a way, it's days like this. It's the FA Cup wins. It's things like this that make you really miss the fans being able to all be together, whether at the ground or in a pub. But we we get to share it digitally. It's what we've got right now, mm -hmm. and we will certainly take it. Um Set aside the game, set aside the performance, just in the context of what it means. You know, I think when you beat a, a smaller team, it really winds up being contextualized. What does it mean for us going forward? Can we finish top four? Can we win this? Can we win that? Are we good? When you win a game like this, it doesn't need to be contextualized. It's just mm -hmm. a release, a happy, joyful moment. And I, I'm curious how... Um, how much you were able to enjoy it not being there, and if you did feel a connection to all those years of this buildup, and and how much the release meant to you. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I, I did. I really enjoyed it. Look, yeah, no, like not as much as um, had I been in the away end and maybe taunting some Manchester United fans and <laughs> piling back onto a train with a, a lukewarm eight pack of Cronenberg and a massive bag of Doritos or something like that. That would have been better. But it was, it was, you know, it was still great. And 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 obviously, I know it sounds really glib and corny, but you do have that like digital connection and what i found actually was that during the first half i like i didn't look at twitter at all didn't look at social media at all you know particularly first half i want to see the game anyway um really see how it's panning out and i really didn't look at social media until we went one nil up because um i felt first of all i felt that anxiety like i don't really feel nervous about I stopped feeling nervous about games some years ago other than cup finals and North London derbies. So even Manchester United doesn't scare me like it used to. But it's when they go 1-0 up and they give you hope. That's so hope when that it kills starts you. To, yeah, that's when it starts to crucify you. So I was, I was watching, I was thinking, okay, we're playing well. Good, good. This is all good. Um, you know, this is decent. I'm happy with how this is going. And then they go one nil up and all of a sudden you go, oh my God, this is absolutely, oh my God, I can't take this. And so naturally, like it wasn't a conscious thing I did. I found myself like looking at my Twitter feed because I wanted to see other people who are feeling like that as well. And, um, and yeah, and, and so that, that's, that's really, really valuable. And I, and I think that's, um, I wouldn't say it's a lesson cause it's not something that like I didn't know, but something that I hadn't really experienced. Um, and I know I said this a little bit on the instant reaction pod about how usually when I'm at a match, I won't really look at my Twitter feed, certainly an hour either side of the game and during the game. Um, and, and there are good elements of that and there are 
bad elements of that, but it's largely good. And and yesterday was one of those days. It was just it was just really really good. And, I, and mm. look, I've gotten used to the whole not being there thing now. Like that's, that's you're like an anthropological like uh, curiosity, aren't you? You're, you're like we found this pygmy tribe in a clearing in the jungle, <laughs> and like you don't know anything about techno, and we're like. So how does it feel to discover social media for football <laughs> matches in 2020? Yeah, it's it, it's it's wild, you know, because usually I only do it when I'm watching other teams. And usually the only time there's conversation is if like, so I guess I have experienced it because the, the only time you really, really experience that sense of community is when someone you don't like is doing something hilarious. Harry so Green. like, yeah, like, so when Spurs, you know, lost their three goal lead. The other, like that, that's just great, isn't it? Because everyone in your timeline logs on and everyone's joking and laughing. And the, the Schadenfreude element has always been strong, but that kind of connected joy element. And, and I think particularly with the FA Cup final, because again, obviously in the normal run of things, I'd have been there and I'd have just been experiencing it with, you know, the people closest to me, but a small group of people. And this, you know, <clears throat> your timeline's still curated with the people that you largely want to see on it and the people that you value. Um, and so actually I've, I've been surprised at how quickly and how easily I've, I've adjusted mm. um, to this new reality. Like I did, I, I did think afterwards, oh, I'd love to been there but at the same time i didn't enormously feel like it didn't taint it for me put it that way interesting yeah i mean it's the kind of celebration you only get from like a big win or when samar nasri's girlfriend gets hold of his password on twitter after he's visited drip doctors it's the big moments like that best night on twitter ever yeah. uh paul quick word before we uh dive into the actual yeah, uh, football the, the uh, i wanted to get uh tim's viewpoint on this because i remember i got into an argument uh the wrong side of an argument with somebody who was a match day supporter. And I think I took umbrage because the implication was that people who, you know, Twitter fans on, on Twitter across the world weren't, weren't in the same category. They were kind of, uh, I'm exaggerating it, but there was a hint of, we were second house citizens or sorry, uh, a second class citizens. And it was more about our understanding of the game that we couldn't see what was going on at the game, which of course is true. Like you have, there's no two ways about it. You see shit if you're at a game that that you can't see on TV, no matter what way you squint, whatever. But my my argument back to him was, uh, yeah, all right, there are things I'll never know because I wasn't at the game, but there's probably a very strong chance that me having, uh, I was exaggerating a little bit, but having watched twice, having seen all the coverage, having seen all the angles, uh, all the replays, all the feedback, all the punditry stuff. By the time you've gone off to Newcastle and come back at the end of that day and you've been gone for 16 hours a day, I would hazard I've learned more about the game than you possibly mm -hmm. can, which is, I'm not sure I agree with my point. I was just being defensive and hitting back. Yeah. And, Certainly feels like uh, a good time for a little social media introspection instead of talking about the game. So I'm, I'm happy to just do this. <laughs> instead. You know, if, if you want to go this route and, and, and go after old uh, online arguments, Paul, we can, we can certainly do that. Is that, is that the direction you want to take this? Well, what, what I'll just say really briefly to that is, is, you know, being there giveth and it taketh away. What, what it giveth, you know, is you get it's more of the emotion of the day and all of that. And it depends on where you sit as well. 90% of seats in a football ground, you can't see shit 90% of the point. time. Mm. Um, so, you know, obviously when I'm at home games, I have a brilliant seat and uh, I see everything. So, yeah. Um, but obviously, like, we don't see replays of anything. So I, I agree. Like, you don't get to digest the match as much because you're off, you're in the pub, 
and you're on the train or whatever. So I, I think I agree with that point, yeah. I wasn't sure that recording the video of this uh, for patrons was really worth much, but me uh, being able to hide the disdain on my face for where this conversation has gone while you flick imaginary Vs at people about your fine seats at the Emirates, that's worth the price of admission. Clive, on to the football. Um, you know, look, I... I definitely have strong feelings about things. And, you know, that that's kind of what this is all about, is having strong feelings. I think when you are the manager of a big club, you know criticism is, is part of it, right? And when you make big calls and they go right, you get to, you know, boast about them and celebrate them. And when you make big calls and they go wrong, you're going to get criticized. So there's, um, you know, there's no easy way out as a big club manager. But Arteta made a big call, in my view, starting Mohamed Elneny, uh, in midfield with Thomas Party, and I thought it worked brilliantly. I thought he has a shout to be man of the match in this game. I think the idea that Mohamed Elneny has transformed overnight from the player he has been to a new player is not realistic. Players don't transform. The question is, has he been given a job that really brings out what makes him special? In particular, the phenomenal engine that I don't think I really understood was as good as it is. If you're not on Twitter, the official Arsenal account has been sharing a video of him pressing from deep in his own uh, defensive third into the opposition half of the 92nd minute of the game. So, just a phenomenal engine. But I also noticed we pressed more, especially in the first half. Clive, we are not a pressy team, and we pressed, and it worked. They they gave us the ball back. They were not comfortable playing out from the pressure. So, do you think that Elneny, the partnership between Elneny and Party was what allowed us to press in ways we haven't previously? And do you think that that in particular, the engine, the extra mobility and engine, in midfield is what made the partnership and thereby the the game plan work so effectively. Yeah, this, this could be a, a deep answer. I'm not sure which way to go. At it, well, right? just save so, some um, room for us to discuss more of Paul's arguments on Twitter because we need to make sure we get back to that. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm a big believer in, one of the reasons why I believe in Arteta is I think he's a really quick learner. I really do think he's a quick learner. I think he sees things, assesses things, and he's brave enough to change and execute things. And we spoke last week, didn't we, about uh, where we play football, you know, playing football in that middle, close third. I think we've, we've got the most number of passes, around 30% of passes near our goal, and we weren't really happy with that. And, and I felt everything moved forward in this game, and it, was, and it was allowed to stay forward. And the reason why it's allowed to stay forward was are aggressive defending, front-footed defending. So when they tried to break out, we had Gabriel come around the corner. We had Holding come around the corner. We had our double pivot. You can almost rename the podcast the double pivot coming around the corner. because That, that exists, unfortunately, of... so it's taken. I know, I know, I know. That's why I said it. I know, I know. And um, it was all about that square, wasn't it? That square. That square, two behind, two in front, how aggressive they were and how they stopped waves of attack and created waves of attack. As soon as they came out, we just regained it back and went straight forward again and split into our into our offence. So I, I thought our defensive intent and aggression was so much better, so much better. It was so much, much more like a team I remember. And when I used to travel away from home, this was one of the reasons why I did, because we used to do this all the time. This is how we used to be. And when I hear people talking about centre midfielders, I'm thinking, nah, mate, this is not this is not how you play centre midfield. When you play centre midfield, you own it. You literally own that area. You bestride it. And I felt we bestrode that area. We owned it. And everything we did was assured. It was quick. It was sharp. Mm -hmm. 
you guys know your football. What did you, what did your eyes tell you? Looking at, when you look at the screen, you saw it. It's not. It's. I, I often I don't go overboard on certain other players. And when I don't go overboard, that's telling you something, right? <laughs> because that means I'm just okay. You lot go and have fun, but I'm not having it because that's how you play centre midfield. That is how you do it. Mm. That's why you travel. That's why Tim gets on the train at half seven in the morning for a 12 o'clock kickoff, wherever it is, to go up there. That's what I used to do, driving the car, go out. You go anywhere to follow that type, that type of performance, that type of team, because you know that's that's the game for me. Mm. It's about chores, about dominating, owning your space. And that, to me, was the most Arsenal performance I've seen in a long time. I watched the game back today, and... It's not. It wasn't that great, you know. <laughs> as a football match, <laughs> no, it wasn't it's not a that spectacle, great. No, but for us, it was exactly the how was so much more important. How we approached it was so much more important than the glitz and the glamour. It really was important for us to go over that hump and go and compete away from home, like that. Really play with authority. Really play with a, a technical and physical balance, which I really quite liked. I, I tweeted for the game. I do tweet during the game. I don't actually look at Twitter too much, but I just tweet something. I tweeted through the game about one hour and I said, I don't care about result because we're all bought in. You know what I mean? I, I said it was the best. Second. The first half I thought was our best half of football this season. I don't think it's close. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't care. I didn't, didn't care because I wanted to see the collective and the collective was there. Hmm. Back to El Nenny. I mean, the collective was there. We're all bought in. And when you're a coach, what you're looking for, the best days is when you get... 100% engagement from all of your teams. And I felt we were so engaged in the game. I looked around the pitch and even the players that I'm not a fan of, where they were engaged, giving it their best. Do you see what I mean? So when I mm-hmm. see that engagement, I see that. I like that. And just briefly back to Elneny, I think I did, I, when I saw him selecting, I, I was quite positive, actually. You, you probably saw my yeah. tweets pre mm-hmm. I was really positive. And the reason why... You say it's a big call, but really was it? Because you look at all these performances in all the other games and look how we played in those games. We look better and other people look better. Bellamine looks better when he plays. Holding and Louise, whichever one played, looks better. We all saw the Rapid Vienna game. Well, look, look at that. And we flipped to the, um, sorry, the Leicester game mm-hmm. and we saw, I was angry. We saw disjointed performances. We saw a dance-off in centre midfield between Shaka and Party, and the and the wrong dance partner won, right? So, and that we saw fifty more passes going to them, those leaden feet, and we all know what happens, right? So, when we see people that emotionally, psychologically sue each other, and I'm a big believer in this: physical, technical, psychological, and emotional. You have certain people that like to do certain things. And they emotionally fit next to each other. And I felt El Nenny and Party are brilliant mm. from a balance point of view. And I think as we look to develop this team, we need to be thinking about that emotional balance what those two had. Very, very similar. I'm going to say it, and I don't care how lazy it sounds. And Tim knows I'm going to say, very, very Here similar characteristics. But it's obvious, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And when we saw that, we it was amazing how that was built. And you just see the same psychological profiles in the two players. I thought, it, I thought it was excellent. The irony is Gilberto once said that he thought Mohamed Elneny was the only midfielder at the club yeah. who had the profile to be in the Invincibles. But he said, but he never yeah. plays. I mean, and you know, look, players don't always have the best takes. But, but you know, it, it kind of looked like it on the day. And, and I'll tell you something, Clive. I mean, 
one of the reasons I was nervous about Elneny starting is I assumed we'd play football the way we've been playing football, sitting deeper, playing out from way back on, in our defensive third, and I felt mm-hmm. we didn't have the out balls, that Party would be the only one who could get us out, that Elneny is not as progressive, especially breaking lines and going over distances. But we pressed, and so it, it played into the things he has that he's good at which is engine, intensity, quickly releasing the ball, right? Quick decision, get it, give it. And so when you win the ball back high up the pitch, I tweeted out the best way to recover, to overcome not having a playmaker is to press because winning the ball back in transition becomes your playmaker. And that really worked. And I know there will be people that say we didn't create enough shots and that's a story for another day and we can analyze that when we do our rewatch, for example, Clive. But like we created more threat. We were in more threatening positions than we have been. And in his post-match comments, Paul, you know, Arteta said, you know, I like the performance and, and he referenced City and Leicester. He said, we didn't deserve to lose City. We didn't le- deserve to lose Leicester. But I would draw a line between those performances. I think this, especially the first half, was better than those and especially the City game against City. Now look, City are better than United, which is part of it. But against City, we sat deeper. We had less intent to play out. Against United, we set the the narrative of the game. We set the balance of the game we pressed they had to react and they couldn't and by the time they had to change their tactic to fit us in the second half we had them and I loved that because we became the the thrusting force in the game I I, I think that is something that we haven't necessarily done enough so I was a big fan of that I, I want to ask you Paul and this is going to be a, a tough role for you to play uh in this section of the pod because I felt that Lacazette had a few really bad moments in this game that unfortunately obscured a performance that I thought contributed very positively, particularly in the first half to the whole. Now, look, on an hour, he's washed. He's gassed. His legs aren't going. He One of the reasons I don't think we could really even press anymore in the second half is he was a big part of it and he couldn't do it. But I think if you... First of all, the the, the air shot that he has, the fresh air shot from you know the center of the box... The ball is tipped away from him. I, I don't think it's there to be struck. I, I think he's unlucky that the defender gets to it. Um, there's one play where I think it's actually El Nenny zips the ball. No, it's Bellerin zips the ball into him, top of the box, between the lines, and he fumbles it away and loses it. Fine. In in terms of his contribution in the final third, it wasn't perfect, but his pressing, his distribution, I thought Lacazette deserved praise for the way he fit into the game plan and contributed to it working. Even despite the fact that there were obviously plenty of moments where he it didn't come off for him. So how do you balance the things that still clearly just aren't working for Lacazette with the extent to which he was an effective part of the plan in this game? So it's important to keep an open mind. I went into this game uh, uh, frustrated with Lacazette, and I think that showed in my analysis of the game while it was going on. And he actually had a good first half he was one of the reasons we were good that's my view yep um and i kind of kind of missed that we did the post match reaction pod and i'd i'd done my tweet but it was in the second half when he was starting to give the ball away and starting to kind of flub chances when we're on the counter and had something about uh lacazette where promising play goes to die <clears throat> which was a good zinger but on actually unfair reflection of his game. I when I went I felt guilty when I went back and had a look at his first half performance. He was very good. He did a, he won balls, he was aggressive, um, he was just absolutely part of the play. And, you know, we had our front three. And 
what what was very interesting in this was the 4-3-3. And it was a very decided 4-3-3. It was only a few moments you would see uh, Saka when we were really been pressed late on in the game, making a fifth man in that line at the back. Um, but a very decided 4-3-3. I was surprised El Nenny was the middle man. I assumed that would be Thomas Partey um, as the deepest player, but that didn't seem to matter. Um, and the El Nenny thing I think is interesting in that I take your point, is it the system or the player? But it becomes both, right? It becomes nature and nurture. It becomes the player responding within the system, trying things he wouldn't otherwise try. He was... There were times in the first half where I thought he was actually the aggressive passer out of midfield. I mean, he took on two, three, four balls where, like, he's curving around the toe of his marker into very aggressive positions and springing us forward. And party was, um, and it was an interesting combination. And, like, they brought out the best in each other. Mm. Um, and then you got Saka on the left, and you got this interesting thing where it's a 4-3-3, but they're still finding ways to do the same things they do when they play a, a, a two, three, five with, with three center backs at the back. And Saka's doing this kind of, he's definitely in the three, but he's drifting when we're attacking up that wing and Tierney's again sliding up. And what you see is a system where those front three, back to your Lacazette, Aubameyang, and William, um, are doing a very clever press all the way through the game where uh, in particular Party and um, El Nenny are picking up the extra guy in midfield or wherever it may need to be. And to your point, we haven't been a pressing team. We're one of the least pressing teams. Yeah. And yet a well-trained, we have it trained into us at this point. We don't, if, you, if we're low on pressing and yet we have times when we're extremely high heavy pressing team. That means we're even more passive than the average would tell you, but we can turn it up. This is a well coached team who can suddenly turn on a very effective press. Um, when we haven't been doing it all along, they didn't learn it on Friday when they came back from, no, from I, I take Europe, your point from yeah. the European game. Yeah, you don't have a coordinated, aggressive press at Old Trafford that you've been working on for three days. <laughs> this is part of their le lexicon now. They can pull this out or they can pull that out. They can lean heavily on playing from the back. They're, you know, toothpaste tube, a 4 oh. three, 3 is part of the reason we were further up the pitch, more threatening, more aggressive. Um, there was a lot to take out of this game in terms of our ability to flex into different requirements. Yeah, and I, I mean, if you look at where the dangerous moves came from, unlike in the FA Cup run, where a lot of times they were playing out from the back, drawing teams onto us and playing around them, these were these came from winning the ball higher up the pitch, moves that started with a more aggressive possession. And Tim, I, I want to get can to the thing, but... Can I just Clive, add a little bit on that? Uh, I would love it. Yes, please do. Um, I was surprised how often we did play out from the back. I think we quite a nice hybrid model. So I agree with you. Mm. The eye-catching thing was the additional chances we created out of pressing. But I was, there were three, four really good play out from the Leno. It's probably survivorship we, bias on my fault, on my, on my part, yeah. Paul, just because I'm not no, used to same. seeing us press. So that's what I yeah, remember. Yeah. Whereas it was probably a little bit more of a mix. I was than, the same, but I, I was particularly impressed as well. Leno seems to have kind of calmed down. He was really good mm. playing out. 
Clive, I, I know you've been chomping at the bit to get back on a couple of points there. And Tim, I do want to I come to you, too. especially on the right flank, because I think there's an interesting development there. But do you want to add one thing to the to the points Paul made? Yeah, I think when we say pressing, we make an assumption that we're pressing from the front. And it wasn't always pressing from the front. Mm. It was allowing you to pass into certain areas where our more aggressive players could win the ball. Right? So by pressing, you can you can leave people room to get out. Mm. You can press one side. So, yeah, you try and get out here. Get, get out down the middle. You're not going down the sides. Straight into the middle. Then we took them. I, I, I watched the game a little bit today. Not massively. It wasn't that exciting, but... If you notice what we did in the first few minutes, the first thing we did was smash Rashford about five times mm. in the game, right? He got smashed a couple of times from holding, one in the head, one from behind, party a couple of times, Gabriel a couple of times. And just think about it, it's Manchester United, when they win games, who plays well? Rashford plays well. He was holding all parts of his body in that game because he was kicked out of it. He had really one quick. sensational pass in, was it to Greenwood? And, the that, only and that's the only thing that he did. Yep. was because he took a quick free kick, got it mm. back, and we never got him picked up. And then he traveled up the pitch and curled it around the corner. And mm. we got the near post. Greenwood had his hard shot near post. That's the only reason. If he came into zones where he would be marked, then he would have got smashed in as yep. well. But mm-hmm. that was the only period. <laughs> I think I liked, you know, like last week I spoke a bit about the data I thought was really important about last week's game. And... I don't think data is important in this game so much, but I, I spoke about every position last week. I wonder what every position was in this game from a backline perspective. I just felt we would move forward a little bit more, mm-hmm. we were far more engaging. I'd use the word engaging rather than pressing. We we're far more aggressive and engaging to then get some turnover. And in turnover, that gave us the hope as fans that we look quite competitive and on a ground where we always seem to be running back towards our goal. They took away their strength, which is transition, by transitioning back on them continually, yeah. continually. And then suddenly their 11 footed defenders are having to cover gaps in a disorganized manner. And we looked okay. And there's so much room for improvement. So I think pressing is much more, for me, it's more engaging. And I think we got, I know I say it all the time, and I apologize for saying it to you guys, but we, we have to get away from formations. We, we think about that four-three-three, and we, we we've got players now. Just do what's required. Mm. You know, a consistent maybe the double pivot in front. Sometimes it was a three. Sometimes it was a four across the midfield. Sometimes we had six at the back. Sometimes we had five at the back. Sometimes we just had four at the back. It's just about movement, and we've got players that can move from zone to zone. So Saka was in the left-hand corner so many times. So was he really a left midfielder? Mm. About Yang tucked in. This is this is a that was a big change. Yeah, hard to sort of scout, and I and I and I love it. I, I don't want to get, I don't want us to have this sort of uh, ideal that we much reach a four three three because that's what he did at Man City. Well, he didn't mm. do it at Man City; he was the assistant coach. Yeah, right? and he's doing something else, and he should be respected for it because I've not seen it before. No, it's, Jenny, it, it's a matter of fluidity in anybody else. It's really interesting. I mean, I, I think one thing that we can kind of agree formationally is that we do try to attack with that two, three, five, where there's three through the middle and five, mm. five up front. And that when we defend, if we're pushed back, we tend to drop into a back five, a line of five along the back. But Tim, I mean, one of the big changes, if we're going to talk pressing or, or as Clive refers to it, you know, engaging higher up the pitch, we yeah. have to talk about the flanks balancing out a little bit. I mean, if anything, I think if you had to say which was the more sort of disappointing side, and I'm not picking on anyone, I think Saka and Tierney were maybe less good than the the right flank in this game. But the, the mm-hmm. willingness and the desire to use the right flank, 
also had an impact on Aubameyang, who while he, you know, I don't think he had a shot in the game other than the penalty, but look at where, uh, yeah, he did actually, had the one that curled just off the post. It was, it was, uh, could, would have been a goal probably if it wasn't deflected, but like, he has that shot from the top of the box. He has the two deep in the box, right on the edge of the six-yard box that fall to his feet. One that's headed away and he miscontrols. One that he pulls back to Obama, uh, to Lacazette for the air shot. He's got the one at the top of the box. He's got, um, well, penalty happens inside the box. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, but but the point is, Aubameyang was in the box more. He was closer to goal more. I would yeah. I would venture to guess the that his average cross. Yeah, the, 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 yeah the, the one where he almost gets to at the back stick. That his average position, his number of times in the box, and his number of touches in the box was probably higher in this game than most. That happens because we work the ball up the right flank more. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's by design, if that Arteta's saying, look, because he, he was asked before the game, will you move Aubameyang to center forward? And, you know, he kind of laughed it off, and he's been saying all week, we need to get him into more of the areas where he is clinical, where he is lethal, dangerous, and he didn't just pay it lip service. He accomplished it in this game, and I think he accomplished it through more work down the right flank, which allows Aubameyang to come in off that weak side. So I don't think we can look past Hector Bellerin. Um, mm-hmm. This is a player I adore, and I, I accept that I am not uh, a neutral observer here. I think he is a C-plus, above-average defender at most. I don't think he's an excellent defender, but for a big club, in terms of final third running, final third delivery passing uh, up the flanks, the ability to read the game offensively. I thought he did all of it brilliantly in this game. And, and he's he's coming back from an injury. I think he is now back. I don't know if he'll ever have the burning pace he had. That may be gone. But the the final third quality and the, the attack quality is great. It's his run that wins the penalty. We've seen games like this where he's won the game with his running. Was it, was it the Rapid Vienna game? He comes in and yep. provides the winning assist, at, at replacing, I think it was called, uh, what is it? It was a Cedric Suarez, I think is what it's called. Um, moral of the story is, right flank was effective, helped Aubameyang be closer to goal, and I think a lot of it is down to uh, Hector Bellerin. So do you see it similarly, and do you want to heap some praise on on my boy, who was on the back of the shirt <laughs> I'm wearing, Hector Bellerin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think what's interesting is uh, what you were talking about there about, uh, you know, if you've got a Bamiang on the left, like it makes some sense to create your overloads on the right, because then when the ball comes into the box, a Bamiang, you don't want a Bamiang as part of the build up. And um, where we've had him, um, you know, I, I guess where he's been pushed, like people have people have wised up to the left side for Arsenal, right? And they're pushing Aubameyang wider and wider so that when Arsenal try and create this triangle between Tierney, Saka, um, Tierney, sorry, Tierney, Saka and Aubameyang on the left, what the plan is for Aubameyang to be the last, like the last, like the head of that triangle. Mm -hmm. They want him, they don't want him playing one twos. They want him on the end of it. But what's been happening is he's been more part of the build up. Yep. So what did Arteta do against Leicester? He tried Aubameyang on the right, um, which I actually thought Aside from the obvious putting him through the centre, let's not have that conversation today. I, I actually thought that made some sense because I thought like if Saka's growing in confidence and Tien is fitter now and he's growing in confidence, then yeah, like keep keep the overloads over there, keep the like the you know the nice little triangle or whatever, and and then like have a Bamian coming in from the right to attack it. Um, didn't quite work like that. Um, but yeah, this this time Arsenal, um, I, and I think we saw elements of this in the Dundalk performance as well, where there was a, a much bigger balance between the right and the left. I do think that's been coming for the last few games. I do think like Arteta has obviously spotted that. Like 
if we've all spotted it, I'm sure he spotted it, um, that teams have become wise to this left side bias. And, um, and, and also in this game, let's not forget, again, you've got to think about the opponents who have United got a right back, Wan-Bissaka, very good defender. Not much going forward, but brilliant. A, a, a bit like Maitland-Niles, actually. Mm-hmm. Very, yep. very good defender, but perhaps not that great going forward. AMN, AWB, there's something to this, man. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Who, now, who do United have at left back? Uh, Luke Luke fast Shaw. food, fast food yeah. uh, favorite Luke Shaw, <laughs> Luke, Luke Shaw fast food enthusiast yeah. Luke Shaw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you if you're coming to Old Trafford and you're looking to get something, that's the side you want to attack. Mm. Um, you know, so so I think there was an element of that, and I, and I do think as well it, it is significant that you chose Willian over uh, over Pepe as well. Um, I think just because he thought that Willian is a, he's not as good an individual as Pepe and Pepe's had Luke Shaw on toast um, a few times and Luke Shaw's had a lot on toast um, in his career. Let me tell you that. <laughs> Beans come but, to mind. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but the other thing, like I know I go on about, uh, you know, Willian's roles, you know, for Brazil being like a balancer on the right-hand side when Neymar was on the left and Coutinho was over on the left and like Marcelo was over on the left, like all of the party for Brazil was over on the left and Willian was kind of the guy who held the structure on the right. Um, But the other thing that he did really, really well was uh, Brazil have a right back, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, called Danny Alves. (laughs) Um, Look him up if you haven't, he's quite good. Yeah, he's done some terrible things to us in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other thing Willian was really good at for Brazil, and another reason he was really trusted by Chite, who is very much from the kind of Rafa Benitez, Mourinho um, type school of coaching where it's kind of structure first. And, and I think it looks like that's where Arteta is at this point in his coaching career. And the reason he really likes Willian is because of his ability to combine with Danny Alves. And, and I think and his technical security in that respect. And I, and I think we got a bit of that from Willian. Um, you know, again, a bit like Lacazette. I, I don't think he was brilliant, but I think he did a good six, seven out of 10 job. But at the moment, and um, I suspect that where people have like teams have been really closing down our left-hand side, um, it's probably not a coincidence that Bellerin leads the team in assists at the moment. And, you know, a pen- I know a pe- winning a penalty doesn't count as an assist, but, probably an assist of sorts. Mm. So actually Bellerin has quietly become our most creative player. I think after this game, that won't be quiet anymore. And teams will think, okay, all right. Um, actually, Arsenal don't do 95% of their stuff down the left anymore. They do have some threat on the right. So what what we're doing is on one hand, um, you know, teams are working us out a bit. But the thing I like is that we are responding and you know, we're seeing the kind of the flaws and now we're giving teams lots of lots more problems now. So now they can't just think, oh, okay, we'll just like put everyone on Arsenal's left and that will stop them because our most creative player is the right back now. So now they've got to think about him as well. And and it just spreads that load a little bit. And, you know, I, th- I think it was to, to maybe it was Paul who, who said, I can't remember about Arsenal building through the middle a lot more in this game as well. Like now we've added party, like those are two, two more quite significant parts that um, I, I mean, party we're projecting, but you know, th- mm. th- basically we're just, we're adding things and, and adding things is nice. Yeah. Look, we have to do a whole section on Thomas party. I know that ne- that is a needed part of this game. Cause it was, 
really a delight watching him play, and, and I want to get in all the reasons why it was, and and maybe also kind of reference a little bit what that means for Shaka and how that maybe that transition is happening uh, away from Granite Shaka, uh, who you know I don't think we should dismiss as having been useless for Arsenal, but maybe his usefulness has reached its its limit. Um, and and absolutely, before we get out of here, there's going to have to be praise in particular for Gabrielle and Holding, who who I think deserve quite a bit of it as well. Um, but before we can do that, I mean, much like, uh, you know, when Gabrielle and Holding see balls, they go and head it. You know, when when we see them, we want to shave them. I mean, it's just how it is. So we got to talk about Manscaped. That was I, was, I was trying to come up with a segue there, guys. It was the best I could do. I didn't want it to be too graphic. Maybe it was too graphic. I apologize. Look, this is happening. This is happening. We're going to talk about Manscaped. We'll take a break to tell you about the lawnmower. When we come back, we're going to wax lyrical about Thomas Party, uh, Gabriel Holding, and look forward uh, to now Arsenal certainly, almost certainly, winning the league. Stay with us. Look, just because something's awkward to talk about doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. So we're going to talk about shaving your privates. And Manscaped is going to help take care of you taking care of your privates. They are a line of world-class men's below-the-waist grooming products. And right now I want to talk about the Lawnmower 3.0. Make this a Christmas gift for yourself, which becomes a gift for your partner. Make it a gift for your partner, which sends a message the right way. Or just give it to yourself for yourself because you love yourself and loving yourself is important. You know what doesn't say I love myself? Using an old razor in the shower and then nicking yourself up and having all kinds of cuts and abrasions and pain. That's no good. It also doesn't say you love yourself if you don't keep yourself trimmed and clean. Right? Trimmed and clean. You feel fresh. You feel better. These are hard times. Make yourself feel a little better about yourself. Now, why the lawnmower 3.0? It's got a phenomenal long battery life. So you don't have to worry about it running out of battery. It's got a great charging stand. I just leave mine in the shower, though, because it's waterproof. So that's perfect. It's always in there when I need it. It's got a light so I can see what I'm doing. And with a ceramic blade and 7,000 RPM motor, you get no trimming incidents, accidents, injuries. Avoid that. Look great. Feel great. Take care of something that you should take care of. And just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean it isn't important. So go there. Manscaped.com manscaped.com please use the promo code arsenalvision because that'll save you 20% and give you free shipping manscaped.com promo code arsenalvision you'll get 20% off and free shipping go there now get your lawnmower 3.0 and take care of yourself be good to yourself do it now all right we're back and i hope you enjoyed that as much as uh i enjoyed recording it certainly did not take me 40 takes to not sound slightly awkward and uh a little bit embarrassed that never happened anyway uh look Clive, I, I, I do want to get into the Thomas Party thing, and I think we should all get at least a little bit on this. So maybe instead of us, us doing one five-minute segment, we'll break it up and bounce around and give our thoughts on it. Um, Thomas Party, when we got him, my feeling was that he could, especially from the scouting videos we watched, that he could do the things that Shaka does, although admittedly with more of a right-sided intent because he's right-footed and Shaka's left-footed and the ball's over the top and spraying balls out to the wing, and he does that, and Shaka does that, and they're very similar in that respect. But he adds a layer of mobility and drive in midfield that we have not had. That uh, was on display here. When he he's one of these players that when he runs, he doesn't look like he's running fast, but he he gets he covers a lot of ground with each stride, and he he gets into positions to make challenges that you don't think he's going to get to. Um, he lost the ball once and then recovered it with just like a couple of strides to just get back in a position and win it back off the guy. Uh, you know things that we don't see Shaka do. We, we sometimes talk about. When he beats a man, the man stays beaten. When Shaka loses the ball, the ball stays lost. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like, he he doesn't, right? And that's not to kill the guy. It's just his his physical profile. So, I think um, from a 
a progressive passing standpoint, I sometimes think we are too harsh on Shaq in terms of what he can do there. But from a mobility, physicality, uh, um, and just ability to get up and down the pitch, uh, th this was sort of transformational for me watching this. We we were hopeful that this would be what he would do, and he did it. So, I mean, do, do you want to talk me through a little bit about what you loved in this Thomas Party performance now that we're seeing him? I mean, we saw him in the Europa League kind of a write-off. We saw him in a Leicester game that was somewhat disappointing because the team bypassed him. We took out the piece that was used to bypass him with, and all of a sudden he just takes over the midfield. Yeah, he, he's got he's got the skill sets, hasn't he? And I think, to me, this isn't a massive surprise. I'm going to say it really isn't. I was, I, 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 I honestly believe... You were on him the from best. the start, my friend. I, just, I was with just, him. I was with him. It's just, I honestly believe he could be the best centre mid in, in the country. I really believed that of his time at the base of the midfield. I, I looked around, I've looked around, and I, and I do a lot of scouting of people. And I couldn't have picked anyone better for the base of the midfield. I, I just couldn't for what we needed. And and then we've obviously watched lots of videos and and I'm thinking, well, what can't he do? Mm. I couldn't think of anything. You know, there were, there's something about footballers, right? They know footballers. Other footballers know footballers. And he got the ball one time in midfield and he scooped it right-footed, left to right outside of his foot. I'm sorry. If you see that and you're playing against him, you step back. You're thinking, I'm like, I, I can't deal with this guy. He's just gone through two of ours and just chipped it over our heads into the right-hand channel and we're off. It's the sort of thing that really does make an impact. People know weaknesses. People know when someone's good. They really do. He put Paul Pogba in his pocket many, many times. That is their totem. That is their player. He pocketed him. He took away his strengths. And he didn't and look he, like a man, a boy against men. You know what I mean? We've we've been up against Pogba before, where we just like bounced off him. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he did, and, but Pogba feels emboldened when he's playing normal Arsenal midfield, thinking, yep. "I'm mm -hmm. I'm going to just run past Granite Xhaka." I'm sorry. So what does Granite Xhaka do? Because he knows he's not fleet-footed. His positioning is slightly deeper. He's not quite as aggressive. So he naturally wants to sweep across and do his job for the team, which is, a, you know, he, he, I'm not going to slaughter him. I, I would rather you do not pair the two players, I mean, Elliot, because there is no comparison between mm. two players whatsoever. Because one sweeps laterally and one goes and gets it horizontally straight up the pitch. Mm. He goes and gets it. And that was a difference because he's not too worried about the space behind him. He goes and gets the ball. And if he doesn't get it, he comes back in because he can catch people up. Straight away, we're more aggressive in our positioning. And El Nini took it on board exactly the same. He was aggressive. And I just and I just loved it. And um, as a player, you know, I, I do like that type of player. For those <laughs> you guys know me, if you said to me, let's pick a player that Clive might like, <laughs> it'll be that type of player. And that's it, right? So for me, this is like, this is what a midfielder looks like. It takes something for Roy Keane to lax, or sorry, Wax lyrical about an Arsenal midfielder, <laughs> and then get, to compare him to Vieira. He gets he gets the art of competition. He okay. gets the art of jewels. He gets the art of dominance of an area. When he went onto the pitch, it was okay. This is my midfield. Who's in here? Okay, I've got to overcome him. If I overcome him, we've got a good chance of winning. And that's just the core of a centre midfielder, the core about you. Some people want to get on the pitch and say, give me the ball. I don't really care about dominating the man or the space. I want to dominate the ball. And a couple of those players that were sitting on the bench at the weekend, they're ball dominant, but they don't care about what happens 
to the space. They don't care about their distances. They don't care about their offensive distances or defensive distances. They just care about getting on the ball. And I think that's not going to work much longer. It really isn't because the game is is two-way, right? So, and I think they're going to have to adapt. And then he's the first one to adapt to what's happening around him. I think Shaka's not done yet. I think he can adapt. He's left-footed. He can easily see him on left-hand okay. side. Of that He'll receiver. respond. Yep. He'll respond. He's just going to have to respond in a, in a different way. Mm. He can't be doing... He can't have his flipping underpants on outside his shorts. He's got to let the game flow a little bit. It's not all about you, son. Come on. <laughs> I know you've got leadership potential, but it's a team game, you know? And uh, I'm getting angry now post-Leicester again <laughs> because <laughs> he took so much of the ball and did fuck all with it that it ruined us. It yeah. absolutely ruined us. Whereas these two guys, I can, not every pass was accurate. But their intention was really positive. And um, yeah, I love the player, right? But you guys know that, so you can do your stuff. Well, it, it, it's interesting, too. You look at the pass map, and I mean, Shaka's passes, it's left channel, left wing, left channel, left wing. And you look at Party, obviously, he's right footed, but it's a little bit left wing, it's a little bit right channel, it's a little bit zone 14, it's a little bit right up the middle. I mean, a lot more variety to it. And, you know, and the, I think the reason I'm comparing him to Shaka is just because that is the role Shaka would have played before Party got here. And, and, you know, I, I understand, Clive, that you're saying don't compare them as players, but I certainly think in this team, Party is taking the role that would have been Shaq as if Party wasn't here. So looking yeah. at the way they play the role differently is interesting. And, I mean, he, he completed 56 of 60 passes, right? So 93% at Old Trafford, you know, under not tremendous pressure in the midfield. But the thing that I think is interesting is only 9 of 10 is in his defensive third. 13 of 14 in the attacking third. Of his... Mm-hmm. Passes, 10 were backward, 53 were short, 32 were forward, 3 were long. When Granit Shaq is on the ball a lot, it's long passes or it's backward passes. This was real midfield play, short, punching it forward, passes that we haven't had, that we haven't seen as much connecting play, building play, um, you know, and doing it now, not just in the deepest part of midfield. This was a side-to-side passer because no. of Atletico Madrid and, yeah. like, you just look at what he what what he could do there when they gave him license at, at letting there'd be phases in the game where he was allowed play and he'd be zipping it up the middle aggressive right into the strike he'd be swinging it left and right and then he'd go back into kind of playing a pattern play and set Saul off or whoever you you could see he was doing all this shit there and he was looking for license to play i think the other thing that blew me away in this game was from minute one this was a player who just joined Arsenal's midfield, went to Old Trafford against the, the, the name Manchester United, and he wasn't phased for a second. Well, I'll tell no, yes. Yeah. But you, you know what? He's the one who should be less phased than the rest of our team because our team's done fuck all. They've accomplished nothing. This guy's gone to Champions League finals, I, I believe. Thank Champions you very League much. Was, this right? guy plays he's, he's done Real it all. Madrid. Yeah, Barcelona, and Champions Barca. League. <laughs> Three times a year mm-hmm. at the new camp at uh, the Bernabeu against the best players in the world. Okay, Ronaldo's gone now, but he was there two years ago, three years ago, against Messi, against all the big, you know, Suarez, against all these... Dominated Liverpool in the Champions League at Anfield. Yeah, Uh, uh, with a manager who sends them out there to take down these guys. He has no fucking fear whatsoever. And what's more, our midfield didn't have any fear. And the people mm. around him didn't have any fear. Because after about five minutes, you think, hang on, 
we're in we're the alpha in this situation i mean we went out there with with two men and a boy in midfield and we totally dominated their they should have dominated that midfield they had four players in the center we should have been going at them down the wings but we didn't we took them on in the middle and we took them apart yeah and i mean uh let me just just say this super quick is just that uh you know i think when you look at the the players on the pitch for arsenal over the over the past several years and I, this isn't analytical or this is just a feeling a lot of players who shrink in a moment or feel small for a moment and this is someone who comes to our club having been in big moments where he came through it as the the dominant factor as the 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 winning factor and so if anything he he comes to us and adds that element that we haven't had and i I do think that matters. A player that comes and isn't overawed, a guy at the center of the pitch where it's all happening and he isn't overawed by the occasion because he's been there before. I think that absolutely matters. Clive, uh, real quick before we let Tim... Yeah, just last me. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I did notice that Bamiyang just kept giving party the ball. He just mm. kept giving to him. And that's like a real sign of approval. You're good, mate. Here, have this. Almost every time we give it, and I looked at the pass up there, and Bamiyang's most regular pass, only seven or eight, was to party, and I thought, ah, oh, I smiled to myself because that is the seal of approval. The main man, the skipper, the big wage guy says, "There you go, mate. You're the captain now. You drive this yeah. team." And I thought that was really significant. Giving him the responsibility, and and I, 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 I will say this: you and I watched a lot of clips of him doing those two scouting videos. He is going to score a thunder bastard or two one of these times. He he tried one of those pile drivers in this game, and it, well, I'm not going to say it was close, but unlike Shaka when he does hit those, and you're like, what are you doing? Give it to someone else. Th- this guy is going to score some unbelievable. I'm not saying ten of them, but you know, a couple of goal- goals from twenty yards out because that short back left, all the power he generates with it, he he can absolutely hammer it. And uh, Tim, I mean, it is. It is delightful because, I mean, much like it was once famously said in a presidential debate, it's the economy, stupid. Like, I think all of us have been saying it's the midfield, stupid, for a while at Arsenal. And I'm not going to say that, presto, it's fixed. We won at Old Trafford and we had a good game, so it's fixed. I mean, we did beat Manchester City and Chelsea on way to winning the FA Cup just a few short months ago with no Thomas Party in the team. But, like, this gives us the ability to not just play it through midfield, but be a dominant force in midfield. And I, Tim, I cannot remember the last time I felt Arsenal were a dominant midfield team. Uh, maybe Santi Cazorla and Francis Cochran, but there was really only one that could play there. You know, if you want to say Vieira-Gilberto comparisons, maybe there is a Santi and Cochran comparison here with El Elneny and, and Party, even though Party and Santi uh, aren't super similar looking. You sort of see the resemblance. But, uh, you know, maybe it is the same type of roles that they're going to play. But... How nice is it to see an Arsenal team go into a big game and specifically in midfield have a player that is the eye-catching, the controlling, the dominant factor in that part of the pitch? And and going forward, I mean, what does that change for us to, to suddenly become a team that doesn't have to play like the midfield is lava? We have a podcast episode that is titled Midfield is Lava. It's not lava anymore. We can play there. I think what we saw yesterday, so, uh, you know, we talked about El Nene's performance and, you know, not, not to take anything away from El Nene, but it's no coincidence that it happened with like a proper midfield general, you know, to borrow, borrow Paul's analogy again, you know, El Nene's a good Robin if you've got a Batman and we haven't had a Batman in, in quite a while. And I look back and El Nene won the Arsenal.com Player of the Month for March and April 2016 when he was playing alongside huh. Ramsey. 
mm. um, when you know he was like the balancer for Ramsey. And since then, we haven't you know haven't really had that player um, for quite a while. I, I think what we've possibly seen in this game um, is too early to say, but what I think and what I'd like to think is that what we've got now. So when Jacker and Sabios play together, both perfectly nice players, but there's too much distance between them and the guys at the front. These are guys who play in the centre circle, but in the centre circle in, in their own half. And they are both good at that in different ways. They are not bad players. They are good at what they do. It's just that we haven't had that. It's just it just pulls the team apart like wet tissue paper, and it leaves the front three exposed. And that is why Saka usually sticks out. Notice we did the instant reaction pod. We we um, did eight stock risings, and Saka wasn't one of them. Saka has been a stock rising in pretty much every game he's played recently. But why didn't he stand out this time? Not because he did anything wrong, yeah. but because we had another player who was driving the team forward. And we're talking about all of the stuff that we thought that Arsenal did really well. The pressing, the intent, where does that come from? Again, not to kill Xhaka or Ceballos because it's not their game. Do you think with Xhaka and Ceballos, we're pressing Man United like that? No chance. Do you There's a reason we getting... haven't even bothered trying. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Do you think we're getting that performance from El Nenny alongside Xhaka or Ceballos? No. And what I'd like to think that we've seen in this game is that we've got, hopefully, the midfield general now. And what we've got are we've got three players who can potentially play alongside him in different situations. This was a game. This was an El Nenny game. This was a game where they've got Pogba, Fernandez, Fredge, who's a, a good athlete, McTominay, who's a great athlete. This this was an athletic fight. This this needed El Nenny. But there will be games where we play. You know, maybe Villa next week. That might be a Sabios game because we need a bit more invention, a bit more bring the ball forward and look they'll for the see pass. They team, Villa, will. They're trying exactly. To exactly. This was this was a. This was a boxing gloves game in midfield and, and it belonged to El Nenny. It will not belong to El Nenny every week. Xhaka and Ceballos will not be on the bench every week. But what I like to think is that we've got the midfield pin and now we've got three good interchangeable pins alongside him, depending on the game plan. And that that's, that's why I really, really hope that we've got a new focal or another rather than a new another focal point for this team now yeah and tim you referenced this we have to be so careful because you know i said this top of the pot so i want to be clear about this when you win the big games you just celebrate them they don't have to mean anything in the context of anything they are a reward in themselves much like winning the fa cup is a reward beating manchester united at old trafford is a reward if you can't enjoy that other than to look at what it means in context i think you're missing a little something because just winning that game is a celebration, is a thing to celebrate. In terms of our recency bias and our, our our sort of lurching from positive to negative that you've referenced, Tim, I think it is so difficult because we have never been as bad as some of the hand-wringing and panic about our attack. We have never been as good as some of the celebration about, you know, I mean, look, they were singing We Got Our Arsenal Back about Unai Emery at the Emirates, you know, I mean, or was that a way? Maybe that was a way. It was a way. It was yeah. a way, yeah. But like, so yeah, so I mean, look, it, it is important not to lurch back. I mean, you lurch whatever you want. It's important to celebrate in the way you want to celebrate. Be you. I mean, it's important to be you. But I I think that, you know, I can look at this game and say, well, we had seven shots and, you know, we, we're, we're still maybe a little shot shy. This wasn't exactly a spectacle for the neutral, yada, yada. But I, I don't, 
obviously I don't want to do that because I enjoyed the hell out of this game and I don't give flying if it was fun for the neutral. Um, but I thought we just got into so many more dangerous zones and created more threat and looked like we had a plan for getting up the pitch more. And, and you know, I, I think Party and El Elneny, that partnership unlocked it. I think that balancing the right flank and left flank unlocked it. So I see things in this game that if they're transferable going forward, can make a difference. You know, I, I don't think this game changes everything. I thought, look, we're a couple months away from Danny Ceballos being our best player during Project Restart. He's not suddenly on the scrap heap now. Now, to be fair, he's a loanee. So maybe it's best that it's on that. I mean, you'd rather have a guy we own be the guy leading the resurgence than a guy we don't. But you take my point. Things can change quickly. And, I, and it, it's important to contextualize them. One of the things, though, that I'm guilty of, I look at the attack, and part of the reason I look at the attack is because I don't think you can come top four, win trophies, win titles, if you don't have an effective attack, no matter how good your defense is. I think you have to be able to attack effectively. But defending is a big part of the game, and it's one that I am admittedly always less focused on in my praise, my response to how the team plays. But, Clive, I mean, the the defense is better in part because the system puts them in good positions to succeed, doesn't hang them out to dry, and in part because we have better players. And much like Thomas Partey is, looks like he could be transformative in the midfield, I I would love him to be as transformative as Gabrielle looks like he's going to be and has been at the center of our defense. This is a player who doesn't shrink from the moment. And I, I think it says a lot. Look, I guess if the calls go against him, if the penalty is given on him or the second yellow card is given on him, maybe you're saying he's an idiot and it shows a lack of judgment. But I think a center back playing on a yellow card has to find the balance of maintaining his intensity and being intelligent about how to do that. He's 20, what, 22. Maybe he pushed that line right to the brink, but he he managed to maintain his intensity and his aggressiveness and, and help us win this game. And I, I could not be more impressed with him and what he's changed. Much like Party looks looks the part in midfield. Gabriel just looks the part at center defense. And now, I, you know, I've never bought into the whole spine thing. I think the spine thing is overplayed. Uh, but I'll tell yeah. you, if you're coming down the middle of the pitch and you see Thomas Party and you see Gabriel Magaliais, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know that you are so gung-ho about just rampaging through there. So we praised our midfield general. What, what about our, our leader from the back in, in, in Gabriel Magaliais? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit like I do like a I do like a spine, shall we say? Um, mm-hmm. But they got to have the right they got to have the right attributes, right? And um, so, so Gabriel, I didn't expect him to be this good, but as soon as you see him for the first time, you think, okay, he is that good. It, it, it's not difficult in this game. It just shows you how fine the margins were. Although I was really angry after Leicester, it was a fine margin game, and in this game, it could have easily gone wrong. Not the one everyone think about the foul that he made and Mike Dean gave him a break. Sometimes the referee gives you a yellow card early in the game to manage a game. I think he decided to give our centre-backs a couple of yellows because we were kicking Rashford off the pitch. You know what? I like that because there's been many a times we've gone to Old Trafford and they kicked our forwards off the pitch mm. and never got yellow cards. The referee has to manage the temperature of the game. Just because he gives you a card doesn't mean the next foul is going to send you off. What he's really saying is, I'm on to you, God. You ain't going to kick him off the pitch. And that's good. Right? But next time he makes a foul, doesn't mean he's going off based on the of the heat of the first foul. Right? So the one way he would have gone off, and I'll tell you now he would have gone, when Pogba got the ball on the left-hand side and he drove across the face of our area at pace, he went across, might have been buried, I'm guessing there, or might have been holding, 
and Gabriel shot out of the defence, pulled it out of a gun, and he slide tackled Pogba, and Pogba went up in the air like that. Now, because of the pace of that tackle, that's a yellow, if he misses it. Do you see what I mean? And we've won the ball, we've done, we created another transition. This was a game of transitions. Mm-hmm. We created another transition, and we're off. I'm thinking, you missed that. Because of the pace Pogba was moving at, because of the pace he attacked the ball at, he's not getting away with it. And Mike D would have to, because it would be a spectacular foul, he would have had to have sent him off. Whereas the one we didn't send off, he went, no, 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 it's okay. It's just a foul. It's just a foul. I'm going to give this guy a break because he's managing the game. I thought Mike D was pretty good. I never thought I'd ever say that. <laughs> because it, But he was really good in how he made the game. So, Ree Gabriel got the lot. Speed, really dominant, really engaged. I was talking to Tim earlier today about the mentality of some Brazilian players. I'm really impressed with him. To come there to that ground, we've probably never been there in his whole life, to turn up and just say, yeah, I'm having it in Marcus Rashford. He's getting it. And he gets up, he presses him behind you. They say, put your when you press from behind, you put their arm in your back. And when you're the forward and you feel that arm in your back, you more immediately go away from goal. And they teach you that arm in the back. And when, I hate that from referees say, when people are assessing penalties and free kicks, they say, oh, look, there's a bit of contact there. Now, that's, that's what you do. You fend people away from mm. the goal. And he does it beautifully. And he just looms over them like that. And he almost envelops them in everything he does. And you look at him and you think, wow, he's excellent. And I know Rob Holding was brilliant today. And that's someone I didn't expect to be that good. Mm. Didn't I hold my hand up there? And I said, that's not, a, you know, I did not think that was in him. You know, I did not think that was him. I thought he was tremendous in this game, high up and deep. But he's making him better. He's making oh, yeah. him more confident. Well, he's not uh, having to clean up his mess, right? I mean, the thing about whether it's Mustafi or Louise, and, and Louise has had some masterful games, but the way Louise or the way Mustafi have good games is the same way they have bad games. They're aggressive, yeah. they're involved, they charge in, they, they are front-footed, and then when it comes off, it looks like a masterful game. When it doesn't come off, you leave your partner absolutely left to clean up your mess. And Gabriel yeah. doesn't do... He he can have a masterful game without having to leave messes. Now, I think Arteta deserves a lot of credit, too, because these defenders are not turning and running towards their goal over and over and over all game. They're facing the opposition goal, which is a much better way for a center back to defend. But, Paul, I mean, coaches love the underdog. When Arteta was asked in his press match, comp- press match um, comments about party, he made his answer about El Nenny. And when he was asked about the defense, he couldn't wait to wax lyrical about holding, and in particular, holding's willingness to come back early from injury, to start in a game where he wasn't expected to be ready, and do the job. And I I think, I am a, a believer that having a spectacular player makes a difference. You know, Virgil van Dijk shows the difference he makes. I think Gabriel has the chance to be spectacular. But a center back who is just solid can be perfect. Just solid is great, and I thought holding had the perfect just solid, do-your-job game. And again, the Louises and the Mustafis of the world, they are exciting defenders. You know what I mean? They're exciting. Sometimes that excitement is great. Sometimes that excitement is not. I think Koscielny was a little bit of an exciting defender, and Paramertesacker was not. Holding holding is not exciting, but he's solid, and I love that about him. So I think one characteristic he shares with uh, Gabrielle is that both those guys love the defending part of defending. They mm. love the duels. They love the physical. I mean, think a couple of games ago when um, back back when Holding was still fit and playing for us before he had his niggle. Um, there were 
maybe two games in a row where he was having duels against players and laughing with them, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, he'd get a tackle in, he'd win some, he'd lose some. He was fucking loving it. Gabrielle loves the duels. Kishelny loved the duels. And I think it was Tim who mentioned the comparison with Kishelny and Gabrielle. Like, I think there's, I've all sorts of times for that. But the one, but you, like with everybody, there's always the divergence. And the divergence with Gabrielle is maybe not very, almost nobody's as fast as Kishelny, but Gabrielle's pretty damn close, but he's bigger. And the other thing he brings is at such a young age, he's actually kind of com a commanding presence. I mean, 21, 22, he's the guy, I mean, okay, he's the central center back, so he probably should be, but he's calling the offsides and he got them time and time again mm -hmm. in the first half, Rashford, Rashford, uh, Greenwood, uh, catching them, managing it. And like, these weren't accidentally jump at the, he jump forward to put the guy offside and then he's got the recovery speed to keep it calm there was the time greenwood got ahead of him and he tracked him down in the box and turned him around mm -hmm. so he's got speed he's got physicality he knows what's going on in terms of the, the dynamic and controlling the back line and you know if you're rob holding and you got uh gabrielle beside you and you know he's big strong physical quick and he's got your back uh, you can really start to settle into your job without having to look over your shoulder about who you got to cover for. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and then you just, just a quick word on Tierney, you know, our, our other center back at times in this game. Yeah, sure. He was a left back, but, but they do tend to collapse into that three center backs when they're under pressure. Yep. I mean, Tierney's been playing center back for basically the whole season so far. And uh, like he had a, f a couple of dodgy clearance headers in this one. I'll, I'll grant that. But outside of that, I mean, he's been outstanding as a no drama center back fitting in there, part-time fullback, part-time uh, wing back and part-time winger. Um, what a boy. Yeah. But, again, but Gabriel, Gabriel's the anchor for all of that. Uh, and yet provides the he provides the cover and the mobility. He's, we thought Saliba was going to be the Virgil van Dijk, uh, and maybe he will be one of these. In days, the sense but... that neither are playing for their team right now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for for many months. Um, yeah. Look, I, you know, it wound up being offside, so it didn't matter. And Clive went nuts about it on Twitter, and I thought it was amazing. But uh, there was a moment where they actually got him behind us, and. Gabriel had to make a recovery run. He recovers back into the box and then stops on a Greenwood. dime. And then, yeah, against Greenwood. Greenwood. And then he cuts back. Now it wound up being offside, but that was eye catching for me because he, yeah. the the speed with which he got back into the box, covered him even though he had gotten in behind him. And then when Greenwood tried to cut it back in, the, his ability to stop on a dime, stay on his feet, yeah. and it was it was an impressive physical display to show you what kind of an athlete the guy is, uh, Tim. Let's start to round the bend towards the end here, and that means we can pick out some of the things that maybe raise some questions or some issues. You know, again, not because there's anything wrong, but just because why not? Um, I mean, obviously, look, they made a sweat for this one at the end. I think we we sat pretty damn deep towards the very end. It would have been nice to maybe be able to push out a little more against them, but we got it done, and I think they were very, very tired, to be fair, towards the end. Um, I do want to talk about the Willian Pepe right side thing just real quick, though. If there was a player that I thought... Ah, 
could have could have done better. Maybe William would fit in that mix. And there's a part of me that thinks, could we have gotten a goal or two in the first half from dangerous possession with some of the spaces we were creating on the transition if it had been Pepe instead of William? But I think there's more to it than that. The fact that Pepe doesn't come on in this game, that Pepe doesn't come on and play in a game where it's all hands to the pump, it's commitment, it's pressing, it's space, it's, you know, it's organization. I mean, it seems pretty clear to me that Arteta doesn't know if he trusts Pepe to to follow the instructions, to do the work. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying he hates the guy. I'm not saying that at all. But the fact that he picks Willian, who hasn't really been playing and hasn't played particularly well in this game, when I thought we'd be playing more on the counter, to be fair, and need the burst, and that wound up not being really what we did. Um, I'm curious how you see this playing out. And again, this isn't, is Pepe bad and he's dumb, but more like, um, because I, I think we left some dangerous moves on the pitch in this game with Willian being a little bit um, workmanlike, a, a little bit sort of prosaic in his performance. But it's pretty clear that following instruction and being where you're supposed to be is what's prioritized now. Having said that, it's not going to be United at Old Trafford every week. So yeah. how do you see Arteta balancing that? And do you think that, that that is presently the issue, that organization, instruction, positioning is the order of the day with this team and that that's how he's making his choice right now? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, uh, the conversation I had with, with someone today on Twitter was when we went 1-0 up, did you want Pepe to come on? I Mm-mm. I didn't. No, I was really. fine at that point. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> had it had it been nil nil, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, had we been one nil down, I think he would have been the first player off, uh, off the bench. That is absolutely. Um, but yes, that is an issue. I I think over and and I guess a little bit like the midfield equation, right? There there will be games for you know different strokes for different folks. So you were having the conversation about holding there. I thought holding was brilliant too, but I also th- thought this was his type of game because this is the type of game where we were defending more. Mm. Not sure we're like, I don't know, let's say we're at home to Burnley um, or Crystal Palace or something like that. I'm not sure holding is the, the ultimate choice there. Um, hold, I think holding's a deep block defender and this was a, not a deep block game, but you know what I mean? It's a, the well, kind look at of Lester, game where... when they sat in a deep block, Louise was our entire playmaking, right? So there's yeah, yeah. different things you need um, from that position. Yeah. <laughs> So I, th- I think what we're seeing here is that the significant thing about this game is that perhaps, or we're just seeing the emergence of two real totem poles in Gabrielle and Party, mm. and really the question is who plays alongside them. Yeah. Um, and we're already having the conversation in the attack about we know Aubameyang's the guy. It's who are the other two pieces basically. So we're we're, we're seeing this kind of spine emerge basically, and and. As much as I think you're quite right, Elliot, that we saw different things in this game, that we were a bit, you know, we were further forward, we were higher up the pitch. Um, and I'd said before, I hoped that that's what the signings of Gabrielle and Party were about, were about being more comfortable defending space and therefore being able to push the team up. Um, but I think what we saw is there are a few players and actually this team is, is probably more suited to this type of game. Like I, I thought, like I said on the instant reaction pod, I thought Lacazette had a decent game mm-hmm. um, in this game. I, I thought William was perfectly decent. I thought he he largely did the job. We talked about Bellerin being really good. I do think that William was part of that um, as well. And and I think what we're seeing is is again we've got. It's probably too much to say we've got this kind of game nailed, but we've got a really good plan, and we know yeah. that 
at least some of the time it will work. And if not, it will come close. Like this plan will keep us competitive in these games and these players will. And so the Willian and Pepe thing is another, like when we play Villa next week, I want Pepe. I mm-hmm. want Pepe to start that game. Um, but, you know, United away, I, I you know, I, I could see the sense in, in starting Willian in that. And I think, um, I, I think, and so in many respects, I don't think we learned a lot. I think the big takeaway from this game is that we played without David Luiz and without Granite Xhaka. And that, and those were two of our technical leaders and we moved away from them. One of them, one was injured. Obviously, I think Louise would have played otherwise. But one we deliberately left out in Granite Xhaka. And so you can see like some new technical leadership emerging. I think mm. stuff like Willian, is it Willian or Pepe? Is it Elneny or Ceballos or Xhaka? Is it Holding or you know Chambers or whoever? Like I think these are kind of pick and mix issues. They're fringe issues. Um, and that that we probably haven't learned an awful lot um, from them. I'd probably pick Pepe a bit more than Willian, like more than Arteta does for this game. I, I understood it. I always, I kind of had the feeling that Pepe would be a really good impact sub to bring on if we needed a goal and the game got a bit stretched. But we didn't need a goal, and you know we saw what we did. We didn't have another shot. Afterwards, Scott's um, by the numbers column in Ask Blog News, very worth reading. He makes a very good point about what the stats were saying at 1-0 and what they said for the last... So if you look at the stats, you right, know, final right. whistle, mm-hmm. like United have more shots and stuff, but actually at 0-0, we were leading all of the metrics. It's just, we sat back there yes, after. Game but, state, typical game state stuff, yeah. right? We decided to ride exactly. it out deep in our own half and that let them rack up some, yeah. some sort of trivial statistics. And maybe the next step is when we're a bit more confident, when Gabriel and Partey are a bit more kind of there, and maybe we have another player like that. Maybe we can bring Pepe on when we're 1-0 up and just go, hang on, yep, we'll, we'll do all the stuff we need to do in defence. We're just going to stick him up there just to bring give him on something for Aubameyang or something and let him yeah, yeah. go devastate some attackers, uh, defenders. I we're mean, probably just not quite there yet, though. No, no, we're, we're still building... We're still laying the foundation. We're not up to, like, the window treatments yet or anything like that. Um... And I should say, I, I praised Hector Bellin earlier, but I have to criticize him for what he deserves, which is, can someone please teach him how to take a throw-in? What the hell is going on with Hector Bellin and foul throws? Very bizarre. Uh, Clive, you've been shaking your head quite angrily towards towards us at this this Willie and Pepe section, so I'm just going to allow you to unburden yourself. No, go go ahead, unbur- unburden yourself. I agree yourself. a lot with what Tim was saying, actually. I think William was, was selected for his security on the ball. And his security, understanding, game control, traffic, many, many times. And I think in the first half in particular, he was quite free in his movement. He was right, he was left, he was in different areas, and he just connected triangles. And um, I think he's got the intelligence and experience to be a wall pass for many people and just gives a little bit of offensive passing, a confidence. And I sort of got this, and I, I agree with him fully that, you know, the game... I bet he was due to come off for a Pepe later in the game where we might need him, but we didn't need him. So, um, yeah, I, I just think we're we're learning about what I think the manager really wants. And it's quite interesting watching Willian, watching Aubameyang, watching El Nenny party. There's something developing here, isn't there, about what, what makes an Arsenal player, what the requirements are. So we were there a few months ago quoting the word non-negotiables from a worker what they are. But we can see what they are, right? You play for the team. Yeah. Right? Your body language is for the team. You work hard for your teammate. 
you do what's required. And those people with individualistic tendencies need to put team tendencies and then before they do the individual stuff, right? So even Pepe was clicking defensively, and I think it's important. It's important for the makeup of this team. It's important for the makeup of what the requirements are to be an Arsenal first team player. And they're not play when you like, do what you like, when you like. That's changed. We've seen that for the last 14 years at Old Trafford. And guess what? We haven't won. Right? So if this is, you know, we saw something different. And I, and I really like that. I really like how it's building the team. And I agree with you. I don't think we've got to the top end of the pitch yet. And I've still got issues about some of those players. But I almost don't care when we win. I mean, I just don't care. And I think there will be, I tell you now, I can almost, I'm going to, I'm going to predict something. In two weeks' time or three weeks' time, whenever it is, when we play party now any and we don't create anything, we're going to be you know, we're going to be after them, and then we're going to be after Sabias. We're going to want him in there. We're going to go back to the January transfer window and say, when we're we going to get Awari in, and all. We become very player centric in our in our analysis when I think it should be far more team centric, and our approach, and on our intent, and our movement. I mean, Hector Bellerin has done pretty well in this game. I'm not a huge fan of Hector Bellerin. I, don't I am think aware. I don't think he's strong enough. I don't think he's quick enough. I don't think he can strike the ball well enough. What he has, he's got a personality to play for Arsenal Football Club. And it's his personality that puts him to those areas of the pitch to get that penalty. And I'm not sure our other right-backs would have done that. See, I think you he hits I mean? the ball beautifully. That's just, I, that's just something we see differently. I agree with you on the, the strength no, of the no, defensive no, side. No, yeah. no, no, you don't, you, you're not aware of what's in my mind, right? Okay. So if he's standing deep, he's got to strike the ball distance, he can't do it. He likes mm. to punch it five yards yeah. and Okay, down, that's fair. Uh-huh. Right? So if he's got the pace of the ball and the pace of his movement to put a side foot across the area, of course he can do that, right? Mm. So, But he can't do it. He can't, he can't clip. He can't clip down the line like Tierney can. And he can clip down the line 30, 40 yards down the line and fade it back, spin into the forward. That's not Bellerin's game. He's a puncher and mover. He's much more mm-hmm. off the player. So I appreciate his skill set, even though they don't fit my eye to take one of your words. You see mm-hmm. what I mean? I appreciate and I do think there's development there. And I, but it's not about criticizing that player. I think there's room for development. I prefer a different style of fullback. I prefer a Carl Walker style of fullback. Punchy, aggressive, that drives and dominates big spaces, right? Stylistically, I think he's a fantastic fullback, even though he knocks off every now and again and lets people off his shoulder. But that's the style I prefer. So, And Bellamy was much more that a few years ago. He's a little bit different now, but what he hasn't lost is his personality to play, and I like that. And I think that's what we saw a lot of in this game, just to finish off. I thought we yeah. saw a lot of personality to play, and we haven't shown personality at Old Trafford for many, many years. It, it is interesting. I mean, look, Arteta's still learning what he's got and how it's going to work. Look at his, how he's approached the big games this season. They've been different. I mean, the City game, he played Willian at false nine, right? I mean, he he didn't go with that again. We I thought we were too timid against City. We played more up the pitch against United. He's, he's making adjustments based on what's working and what's not working. And now that he's got Party in and now that he's got Gabriel in and he's got a little more trust in that spine, maybe that is why he felt more comfortable playing a little further up the pitch. But... It is a work in process because the the personnel has been very limiting. But maybe with Gabrielle, maybe with Party, you know, maybe the the personnel isn't going to be as limiting going forward. So this was a wonderful day. Let's wrap it up here, Paul. I'll just say, like, um, you know, again, I, I cannot overemphasize how much I enjoyed this. Just pure, straight enjoyed it. Uh, maybe the, the last fifteen minutes or so, notwithstanding, and the the sweating it out at the end. But like, it, it does feel really important to get these wins, and like. 
in a way, I feel like I'm in, I'm, I'm in an alternate reality with Arsenal because for so many years under Arsene Wenger, we would finish top four and lose all our big games in the season. So at the end of the season, you'd be like, yay, we're in the Champions League, but you hadn't actually beaten anybody to celebrate. And now, you know, we've gotten FA Cups by be- and to be fair to Arsene, we got an FA Cup beating Chelsea and, uh, and City and Arteta just repeated the feat. Um, but but I feel like we, we are getting these big win moments and they're so restorative. So do you get the sense... Given that maybe people were starting to get a little agitated, a little chippy, a little nervous about Arteta, that the value of this was that what our points record would have looked like, what our run of losses would have looked like, what our form would have looked like, combined with our tendency to all overreact a little bit, especially during a pandemic that's got us all wound up. Do you think that in addition to the joy this has given us, that the pressure valve this releases was important because it lets Arteta just continue the work um, with maybe a little more... Uh, circumspection and equanimity around the club than had it might have gone another way. Yeah, uh, as you were talking there, it kind of occurs to me it's kind of like a six-point swing in a game, right? Mm-hmm. You could have gone three points the other way, but we went three points that way. Um, like the uptick, the uplift, the building of belief. I mean, Arted again, I think uh, Gunner Blog had that piece this morning. I don't know if you read it. And he was talking about how at the end of the game, the first person Arteta went to was uh, Gary O'Driscoll uh, on the medical side because he's the guy who got holding back, ready, fit. And he goes to him with his, <clears throat> you see, I told you, believe in me, believe in me. Mm-hmm. There's a whole belief thing for Arteta. I know there are those who don't really believe in those soft things. But it's amazing how everybody who's ever played in a successful team thinks, belief that 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 thing you build that you can lose so quickly but if you can build it and build it and this was a belief performance um going the other way chaos awaited right we we'd had if we'd had a bad result and a bad performance uh against united um i think that just makes life so difficult as you're heading into this hot the the holidays into the christmas period um, there are no easy games ahead of us, even though we're into the easy stretch. Uh, I don't think that would have been a lot of fun for anybody. Mm. It's so funny because I'm looking at the the table, and it, it really, <laughs> yeah, well, it's ridiculous, right? Because like, and this is so why close. it was so, so important, though, because if we don't get those points and we are on nine, I mean, you're really talking about sitting. I mean, United would have beaten us, so we would be sitting 15th, you know, in the table after seven rounds. And now, I mean, granted, we're basically, you know, 11th-ish if you factor in game in hand, but, like, we're four off the top. We're two off Spurs who are second. Like, the the compression in the table and the extent to which this has been a weird season means that, like, I don't think anyone knows how to react because in a normal season, we'd already be feeling cut adrift a little bit from, from a, you know, the top of the table. It's clearly not a normal season, and I think we have to reset our expectations and recognize that like, maybe the Premier League has just changed so much with the money that's flowed in and the way the teams are laid out and the, the strength of the different squads that like the expectation that you're going to pick up three points every week unless you're playing City, Liverpool, United, or Spurs is, or, and Chelsea is not real. That you're going to drop points to Wolves and Villa and Leicester, and you're going to drop points to to Palace, and like may, that new reality is also going to mean that we have to change the way we react to setbacks 
because setbacks aren't just happening to us. Everton were the darlings. They've lost, I think, two in a row, right? You know, they just lost to Newcastle. Villa were the darlings. They lost to Leeds. Um, Not that anyone, I think, thought Villa was going to stay up there, but like, you know, City have suffered really bad defeats. They've gotten hammered this season. Uh, uh, Chelsea as well. So, these wins are big because they're not just coming against the rivals that you need to get ahead of in the top four race, and not just because they're so much fun to beat your rivals, but also because any win in the Premier League this year is more valuable by dint of the fact that there's just fewer wins being picked up all over the place. So a, a huge day altogether. Tim, sounds like you have a final word on that? Yeah, I was just going to say, actually, you reference this as a new normal. It's, it's actually kind of an old normal uh, when Fair you point. think about it. Pre-Premier it, League. <laughs> well, well, not even that, like... The outlier is Liverpool and City getting 100 points. Mm. Like, literally never happened before. Um, like, the, those seasons where they dominated points like that, those are outliers. Yeah. Um, and actually, what, what we might have, albeit I take your point about it being an odd season, what we might have is just a reversion to how things kind of used to be. Yeah, well, I mean, I... Clive, do you have a finishing thought? I, I'm, I'm, I'm I sensing just, that you have a finishing I, thought. I, I, I really believe strongly that the game has changed and more and more people can see the data and more and more people have go to the same coaching seminars. More and more people can watch and analyze what people do. They can copy, they can training move, regiments. They can, they can develop. And I think there's a leveling out of coaching data analysis and sports science. And now it becomes a talent and selection game. Take this game three, four days ago, Solskjaer, the genius playing a diamond against Leipzig. All he did was pick four players because he's, he's struggling to get them into the team. <laughs> a few days later, I thought, don't play a diamond against Arsenal. And he goes and plays a diamond against Arsenal and gets bopped at Old Trafford. Now he's an idiot. Mm -hmm. You can't afford to make those coaching errors. I'm sure when I was growing up, I didn't look at coaching that way. We just lost games. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Based on incidents. Now we can lose game because we've got some bloke at the left back left side of midfield having 100 passes and a 50 million quid guy in the middle is having half the passes and we can all spot it within two minutes of the kickoff. You know what I mean? That's the end of That's how you wind story. up with a podcast titled I Don't Like Stupidity. That's how that exactly. <laughs> And so it has changed, but I think it's actually leveling out. It's developing a leveling out process and we've got Leeds coming up, we've got Villa coming up and I, I hope we're going to win, but I don't know. Yeah. And that's, a, and that's a good thing. I really think it's a good thing. It's a better thing for the league. It maybe isn't a good thing for us having sort of consistent opinions about Arsenal Football Club because you're not going to go out and win eight on the spin as you beat up the bottom half of the table. That Those days are done. Um, Clive, you looking forward to rewatching this first half with me? Oh, you haven't asked me, but I'll take it. I will, yeah. Yeah, I've signed <laughs> so, you up yeah, for it. You good. don't even have a choice. We're going to put that out. What you want to do? You want to do it tomorrow? You want to do it Wednesday? Uh... Wednesday, please. There you go. If you're a patron, Maybe you will be tomorrow. getting Maybe All right, tomorrow. there you go. If you're a patron, you're going to be getting it either tomorrow or Wednesday. We cleared that right up. And don't forget, <laughs> uh, we are playing Spores FK, also known as Mold, uh, on Thursday. So there will be content all around that. And I'm going to try to squeeze in a live stream pre-match for that. And we'll also have the analytics pod for patrons uh, from Scott. And if you buy the lawnmower, we can all share in the delight of, of being freshly shorn in our nether parts. So there's that as well. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Pause. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, and I strongly recommend it. What the hell would you want to have anything to do with me on that social media platform for? Good God. No, get rid of me. Block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. It is uh, my pleasure to, to just say how much we love you and adore you, and thank you for being here uh, wherever you watch, whether on Patreon or regular. Um, I just love sharing it with you. And uh, if you're an American, uh, don't forget, 
it is election day on Tuesday. I don't know if you've heard about that. Not a lot of coverage of it, but you should go and vote uh, one way or the other. In any event, we love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Mold Nil. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com